This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 212. I am so excited to have the lovely Jane Milburn on the show today. We are talking about reducing planet impact from our closets. Now, you may have noticed a bit of a fashion and lifestyle vibe the last three weeks. We've had James from Outland Denim, fascinating discussion, not only on uh, lifting the lid on child slavery and looking how business can actually create huge amounts of social change, but also the denim industry on the whole, the progress that's been made and where it's all headed. Then last week, we had the wonderful Danielle from Pyra Jewelry, a beautiful Canadian-American brand. Uh, who use only reclaimed metals for their pieces uh, and so inspiring to see the work that they're doing there. And then today we're really talking about uh, using what we already have, starting to build up some basic sewing skills again and actually getting in touch with our creativity around how we might actually be able to turn old things new again. Jane is so good at this and so down to earth. Uh, I love the work she does. It's heartwarming. Textile Beat uh, is her Instagram name and uh, she's just uh, so talented. It's one of those situations where I'm not a great sewer. My husband's the sewer in our family. Um but uh, but Jane really inspires me to try something, to do something more. And her book, Slow Clothing, Finding Meaning in What We Wear, uh, is one of the best books that I've read. Really simple, easy read, very inspiring. It really just helps everybody feel like they can play a part in doing better when it comes to fashion. And you know my vibe uh, running this community It's got to be about that. It's got to be about us feeling like we can own a part of this story ourselves, no matter where we're at, no matter what our level of skill, understanding, appreciation, uh, we can make a start. And Jane is ninja at helping us feel that. So I I know for sure you're going to love this chat and we're going to hook into that in a little minute. I just wanted to remind you that we are now halfway through November, which means it's my birthday next week. Uh, and I'm always very, I'm, I just love birthdays. I think they're such an amazing thing to celebrate another year around the world. And I think if anything, having a chronic illness uh, through the mold experience these past few years uh, has really even greater deepened my appreciation for the gift that is getting older, the being here, for having good days, uh, rather than focusing on the bad stuff or getting older. I see it just as the, the hugest privilege. And uh, um, especially as a mama to get to see my son grow up and, and do all these cool things, it's just the most special thing. So never, ever take your birthday for granted. It is a gift and uh, we got to use that gift and make it count, right? Especially in the name of the people who haven't been as fortunate. So 
Uh, that's my little birthday sentiment. I hate people saying, oh, I'm just going to freeze myself as, as a 30-year-old for the rest of my life. No, no, no. We've got to change. We've got healthy ageing, appreciation for ageing. That's what I'm putting out there um, for everyone listening right now. Now, uh, so yes, I said it was halfway through November, which also means you have another couple of weeks left to make the most of free postage on the beautiful new sunscreen, low-tox as it comes, Mother SPF. Uh, it was born out of necessity uh, when a few years the founder's mother was diagnosed with cancer and she then started literally turning everything upside down to see what could have contributed in any way and really cleaned up all that personal care, the cleaning products, etc. Uh, when it came to sunscreen, she didn't find one she liked particularly much in the low-tox category and it, it is a trickier one to find one you like. People often try two or three before they land on the one they love. And trust me when I say, as someone who started this journey 15 years ago now, uh, we're doing a lot better in the sunscreen texture department uh, in the low-tox category than we were 15 years ago. I remember looking like a pale, white, oily, <laughs> slick at the beach with the first low-tox sunscreen. It was like trying to spread putty on my arm. And I can assure you that the Mother SPF texture is silky, gorgeous, goes on real easy, and you have free shipping for the month. Uh, your code is nice and easy, low-tox shipping, and the website is motherspf.com. Uh, and the free shipping is actually a really great discount if you think about it because sending one tube of uh, sunscreen in the mail costs about 10 bucks, uh, depending on where you live, but usually somewhere between 8 and 15 anyway. So that's a great saving for you to get to try another low-tox sunscreen and see whether this might be your new favourite. Uh, I certainly love it and it has definitely made its way into my top three uh, and in terms of what we recommend to the community, and I know you'll love it too. So enjoy that. And don't forget to go follow them on Instagram, Mother SPF, or, you know, the little at doobie and then Mother SPF. So thank you for being supporters of the show and all the best with your beautiful new brand. Uh, I want to thank everybody who has joined the Lotox Club lately. Uh, we are halfway through our Tea and Tizan Appreciation Month. Uh, all club members, it's only 49 Australian a year, uh, which is like 30 American, a US, um, about 28 to 30 euro. And I make it really inexpensive because I just want the community to grow and I really want it to be a beautiful uh, troll-free environment for us to really work from our overlaps rather than differences uh, to be supported uh, on whatever level or whatever stage of the low-tox journey you're at. I don't care what brands you buy. It's not about trying to farm anyone into any one particular brand. It is the low-tox life space. And when I created the term low-tox and low-tox life, which was just over a decade ago now, uh, a lot of people have used the terms low-tox um, in kind of casual language these days, which is amazing, and it's why I didn't trademark low-tox. But low-tox life and low-tox living are trademarked, and you see these terms being used, and, you know, <laughs> I'm a tiny business, so it's really not worth going after every single person um, legally, uh, but I just want you to know that a lot of people try to make it like to lead a low-tox life in their words, you have to shop one particular brand. 
and you only get resources and support uh, if you're buying that one brand. And I just want to let you know that when I started this business, this lifestyle and termed it low-tox life and to live a low-tox life, it was never about having an affiliation with any one brand. It was about uniting uh, under uh, food, body, home and mind pillars to do better for our health, for the planet's health and to celebrate anyone doing better in that space. So that could be a brand, it could be a farmer, uh, it could be a politician, it could be anyone. Uh, it is not about having to follow certain brands or people uh, to be accepted as a low-tox life community member. So I just wanted to share that ethos behind that and to kind of pave the way for your understanding of how um, open and welcoming the Low Tox Club vibe is. Uh, there's people of all work, walks, people from all sorts of countries and, uh, and it's a beautiful place to be. And each month in the Low Tox Club dashboard, there's a new ebook for club members on a particular topic. Uh, so we've done immunity, we've done sleep, we've done uh, relaxation, we've done clean indoor air. And this month is all about the therapeutic benefits of teas and tisanes. Um, tisane basically just means a herbal uh, uh, approach and tea is like black, green, white and, and um, brown tea. Um, so uh, yellow, I should have said then, um, not brown. And... Um, and so I've interviewed, because each month we now have as well, a special exclusive club Q&A. So the topic of the month goes up, all the clubbers ask their questions about that topic. And then I interview a leading expert in that field to help answer all the questions. And we had the beautiful Anthea, Anthea Kalouris, who is 25 years plus naturopath, herbalist, and uh, ninja tisane and tea maker. Uh, her blends are so powerful, so beautiful. Uh, Apotheca by Anthea is her brand. Uh, and uh, you might have actually known her as her past brand, Obvio. Uh, but uh, she has rebirthed and I'm very excited for this. And we had a fabulous interview talking about various teas for pregnancy, uh, fertility, endometriosis and, and thyroid and how tea, tisans can actually be used to support you through those, um, not as a curative or a healer, but uh, symptom comfort and um, support, which was a really great distinction that she made. Uh, and then we talked about um, all sorts of things, stress relief, uh, insomnia, uh, thyroid, all sorts. So it was a really great interview. And that's just a little window into what you can expect each month as a special exclusive little thing that we just do for clubbers. clubbers. So the way that you join the club is by going to lowtoxlife.com. Where's the club? Okay, I just need to read the uh, URL. So lowtoxlife.com forward slash the hyphen low hyphen tox hyphen club forward slash. Or you can just head to lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and join the club is the very first option. 49 bucks a year. And I would love to see you there. Uh, we love supporting you with that club dashboard and our topics and the extra interviews, but you also get 50% off all low-tox courses, of which there are uh, eight. The only one it doesn't cover is my business uh, mentorship program, which is called Low-Tox Method. Um, but everything else, 50% off all year round and permanently. And uh, what else can I tell you about the benefits? 
I think that's pretty much it. But once we hit a thousand members, which will happen in the next couple of months, we have some very exciting little extra things we're going to be adding to the offering. So I'll see you in there and look very much forward to it. And now this wonderful interview with Jane Milburn on how we can heal our planet from our closets. Heartwarming stuff. Hello, Jane. How are you? Great. Thanks, Alex. I Good am, to be talking to you. Yeah, I'm very excited to finally have you on the show. I, I can't actually explain why it's taken this long, but here we are and that's the right, that's the good thing. Um, where to start today? There's so much I want to ask you, but I think it's always interesting for people who perhaps aren't familiar with your work and slow clothing. Uh, how did the process of starting to want to live with less uh, unfold for you because it's so different for different people. Sometimes people are born into a real kind of hippie grandma family where the grandma darns everything and, and you kind of exposed to it really young. But some people have a real born again experience and I'm curious to see where you sit. My journey is probably a little bit in that the modelling was there. I grew up on a farm and, you know, so you're conscious about where resources come from and, you know, um, a bit older, so, you know, the grandma lived on the farm with us and, you know, there still was a legacy of um, things being tight from the Depression. Um, so it's always been there for me, but it was actually in 2011 when I went to a Fashion for Flood fundraiser. I had been making a lot of my own clothes and doing thrifting, you know, through university and that sort of thing, but... At this fundraiser, just to realise, I rediscovered op shops, I guess, or the potential of op shops, and I was able to buy 30 shirts for $60 at the end of the evening, you know, wow. when everything became $50, and it, that was the real, oh, my goodness, what is happening here? And that's where I really realised um, that the excess was so huge that, you know, I needed to, it, it did take me until t at the end of 2012 to decide to make a career of talking about this kind of thing um, because I'd done an ag science degree, so I was always interested in, in natural fibres from that perspective and resources, but my career had been in communication and advocacy and basically, you know, change campaigns. So, I just thought I've been doing leadership study and I just thought, well, you know, I need to find voice around this and that's mm. what I did. Well, you sure did. Uh, <laughs> and I just want to pick up on the change element of what you just spoke about then because you're not about converting people and you say that um, uh, quite publicly and, and I love that because I'm not either. I think it's really about providing transformational change information and if it intersects with someone's curiosity at the right time, then that's a beautiful journey that that person then gets to have open up for them rather than, rather than the preachy-teachy, um, you're doing everything wrong uh, model, which tends to repel the very people we're trying to attract. And I think we're both really similar in that sense. So um, when, you, um, when you think about how... Um, you want things to land for people to have the maximum effect. What have you found works best for you? Well, I'm the mother of three grown-up children, you mm. know, so taking, going through raising teenagers teaches yep. you a lot 
about kind of the laid back or just guide you a little bit in this direction, that direction. So some of it came from there, but also I guess it I, I felt I just wanted to put an alternative position. You know, I just said, and really I had been doing what is now known as slow fashion all of my life, really. You know, I'd always been hands-on, I made my own clothes, and I just recognized that I was doing something different and it was worth talking about. So really that is all I've done. I've spoken about it and when you put a different view, you actually um, attract some attention and certainly um, in 20, the end of 2013 I went on ABC Radio and, and actually publicly said, well, you know what, I wear secondhand clothes and I sew, you know, and I just think putting that out there, it sort of legitimises some of those things and makes people realise, well, you know, I do too. You know, some people have been in the closet about this a lot, whereas people started talking about it more. And when you say, well, I do this and this is why, then you're just putting the case. I was able to put the case about the waste mainly, you know, and the excess. And and so everybody comes to things in their own time. You know, they have to be ready for some reason. And I just think, for me, I just keep putting the messages out there and it's been fabulous to observe the change that's happened over time, you know, to see to see how, oh, you know, this has become, you know, every day. And, and the stigma about secondhand, you see, people are so, you know, we're so intimidated sometimes and thinking we've got to fit in and be doing the right thing, whereas I'm old enough now to realise, well, you know, I don't care what anybody else thinks. This is what I'm doing. And, and that's all, all I can say is the reasons why and, you know, all of the climate change agenda, even if you don't fully can subscribe to climate change, like the waste is such a, a terrible thing. And, and we just, you know, with the population growing, we can't afford to be so wasteful. So really to me it's, it's talking common sense and people will listen when they're ready to, but they're, if they're still at that pretentious, I want to impress with all my excess stage, well, you're never going to win them over. <laughs> it is true. Uh, we spoke about this on uh, offline before hitting record, but uh, I was recalling a time when I heard Justin Bieber say, he sort of boasted the fact that he wore a brand new pair of underwear every single day, never wore the same pair twice. And uh, I remember just being so shocked by that because it was right around the time when I had discovered Safi Minnie's work over in London and the People Tree story, which was one of the groundbreaking um, uh, uh, ethical fashion um, stories of, of, of the last decade. And um, and so I had just had my uh, that explosion moment of realising, oh, my gosh, we've been doing clothes all wrong and these $2 T-shirts and where do they come from and ah! Mm. Uh, and then to hear that was just mind-blowing. So do you think one of the biggest struggles we have is the um, the celebrity culture modelling that we have? Yeah, I do. And, and all that influencer stuff where often they get given product to about um, and wouldn't it? But... In terms of um, celebrity voice, um, the counter to that is Michael McElmore, who's a musician, and he has a shop called, uh, uh, sorry, a, a song called Thrift Shop, 
Um, you can find it on YouTube and it was on Triple J Hottest 100. It was number one in 2013. And you see, that's the different influence. And, and I think there are a lot of thinking young people who are recognising they're inheriting the world that we live in now and all this big push to consume and buy things and show off how clever we are because we've got this or that brand. Like, I, I just... I think people are seeing through it now. And also we're having the rise of individual, authentic, um, and, and certainly the pandemic has brought that along where we're recognising what really matters is a safe place to live and, you know, a community and all this pretentious, frivolous stuff is um, seen for what it is. It's really not, it's a very negative thing. And it always makes us feeling as if we haven't got enough and really, um, that's what marketing's about. So, you know, we just need other voices saying, well, you know, just present as yourself and don't feel a need to keep up and be kind, be a nice person, don't waste stuff, you know. That's much more valuable. And I think, you know, obviously Greta Thunberg has changed things for the younger generation and hopefully... Um, you know, there's there's more common sense happening around the place now. Yeah. Do you find it um, interesting or do you think about ever uh, the economic impact of us buying less when our whole system of success has been built on growth? Yeah, well, the whole GDP thing, it's really um, coming to the fore now. It is, um, isn't it? <laughs> where, you know, we... Yeah, it's interesting looking at the change in our purchasing habits. Um, I just always think it's not a valid reason. Like growth, you know, infinite growth in a finite world is not possible. So if you come back to that, then you think, well, you know, supporting local businesses, local services, all that sort of thing is great to be doing. But, you know, as a formula, oh, we've got to go out and spend money for the sake of it. I just don't, I, I don't think it's got any validity. Um, but, you know, it's always a balance, isn't it? You know, we, we need to be supporting things around us. But I just think wasteful spending is what the problem is. It's not, it's not you know, it's not sort of growth. And really we, we, can't, we can't keep growing indefinitely. So it's about the way you spend things and how you support people on that journey yeah. Rather than showing rather than showing off, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and really starting to tap into the beauty of a circular economy. I mean, it's mm. it's so sustainable and yet we can still have businesses thriving and yeah, uh, people enjoying yeah, it- products and services. You don't have mm. to it, I think a lot of people get scared. It's like, "Oh, but I like my things and mm. I, I don't want to not have things." It's uh, Yeah, well, that's okay to have things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And particularly if the, you know, like the circular economy is fabulous, but, you know, like the thrift, thrift is the mm. ultimate, you know, thriftiness and secondhand is the ultimate in the circular economy. That's it where sure it starts, really. So, um, yes, definitely. And it really makes you wonder about how do we ever get into this linear, you know, this stuff that ends up in landfill? Like how was that ever seen as okay? Mm. Um, I I tend to you know I'm, I'm a big fan one of my first uh university lecturers I did European political science which is a very scary thing to have studied in today's world when you see certain things playing out 
Um, but when this lecturer, I was struggling with a point and he said, to help you unpack this, just ask why about 10 times before you start deciding anything or coming to any conclusions. And every time I now do that, it seems that I land in vested interests. It's, it seems to have all become a, a, a very linear world once lobby groups were able to form agendas, pay politicians in many of our um, uh, de developed nations around the world and um, developing um, a term I use loosely. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so um, it, it seems like that's always the root of this horrific, wasteful, exponential growth mentality. Um, and that's where it all, all begins. Mm. And looking for that, the, where are the vested interests here? Developing your own critical thinking, I, I think is a fabulous thing to be able to do. And, you know, where, where you can come to your own conclusions rather than be a follower, why not just think, well, what's what's wrong with being different? Like if, I, you know, like and and what's wrong with, you know, doing a whole lot of recycling at home and reusing? I've just been developing and upcycling the garden around uh, our house. Um, and, you know, it's really exciting to be able to fix things up. And actually I bought a few some new plants, but nothing much. Yeah, everything just gets moved around. and. And I think the potential to use what you have, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. That fabulous quote from Arthur Ashe is a wonderful thing, you know. So, yes, it's always watching out for the vested interests and the, the power and the politics and the money making. You know, it's, it's always at the heart of it. Somebody's, somebody's exploiting you to make money. Um, you need to wise up to that. And and, you know, certainly it's okay to want things and desire things and, and really nice things, but by quality for the long term, that's, you know, rather than the latest little trend or colour that's happening. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I think uh, something that's actually, I want to ask you this because this is something a lot of people struggle with. So for the people who do have things and maybe they do an annual clean out of things that they, they're just not so as yet, they're not ready to be, Jane Milburn and, but, you know, they're curious, but these first couple of years of just testing the waters of, of opening up to upcycling your clothes and darning things in creative ways and putting things together in ways that they wouldn't have before, you quite often get the people who then become obsessed with making sure it goes to a good charity or a good op shop so that it gets sold properly. But we often don't get great transparency over where our clothes end up when they go into those charity bins. And you hear some really worrying statistics around uh, things getting dumped in uh, faraway countries and heading on ships and all sorts of stuff. And you think, well, I just wanted to give this to a person in need. Why is yeah. that so complicated? Do you mm. have any advice for us on that front? Um, well, I, I think the small church-run charities, like it's great if you can find someone to directly give it to. Um, and there's some women's shelters sometimes, you know, might need things, but often they are given new clothes from, you know, shops that can't sell them. So I don't really have any fabulous answers for you on that, on that front, but um, I think the charities are changing their approach a little bit. Certainly previously only nearly half of the clothes that were donated ended up going into the global secondhand trade. 
may or may not have been useful. Um, you know, it's really, it's not very transparent at all, but with the pandemic, that um, that trade has ceased for now. And I know I certainly heard one of the larger charities say that they are looking to have total recycling happening in Australia, you know, reclamation work happening here. So I think this really is, um, we're in a state of change here. And um, I think, so just to summarise, probably if you can find someone to directly give it to, it's great. Charities do fabulous work. So giving it their, you know, good quality items that they can sell. And they often talk about, you know, don't give it to a charity unless you give it to a friend. So, um, you know, it's the quality things. And I think it's probably what we need to do is take a step back and actually be buying less so we're not ending up with so much to be giving on. And, um, you know, I know if you've, if you've got children, then there's a lot of circular wardrobes happening, you know, bags of clothes going from family to family. Yep. And um, Yeah, I love you know, that. I've seen my uh, little great one. Way to the yeah, my little one-year-old nephew, it's, every now and then I'll see, yeah, I'll see him wearing something. I'm like, Nat, was that Seb's? Because there's, <laughs> there's 10 years between them, but they've got a, there's yes. the bigger brother in between and yes. uh, and another bigger cousin. So it's been through sort of four kids before it's gotten to Sam. And, yes. uh, and it's just so gorgeous, like remembering my own child when I see his clothes on that next yes. little person. Um, yeah. And what I, what I did recently, I mean, my eldest child is 32 now, so, you know, but it's taken me this long to sort of clear out some of the baby clothes that I, we did a lot of um, painted T-shirts when they were little and I've now, I've cut them up and because they're really not suitable for donation, you know, they were well worn um, and I've turned them into basically handkerchiefs, you know, or just wipes for me to carry around in my bag and it's lovely looking at the memory of the, the footprints or the handprint or the, you know, the painting. So, yeah, that means something to me. So I, I, I think it's actually deciding, well, I'm going to be more careful about what I'm doing. It's so easy just to heave it all out. But, um, you know, I think careful donation. Charities do do good work and it's donating it at the right time, you know, like during the pandemic getting, you know, just chucking things in a bin overflowing is not appropriate. So it's it's being careful and selective and and certainly that that is the conventional way that clothes have moved around. So I think it's still legitimate um, to be donating to charities and 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 you lo- you know like a local one if you suss out, you know. And one that might, you know, if there might be migrant in a migrant community or something like that where you know that people can use them. Yeah, we love um, Dress for Success. My mum and I have uh, donated to them. So that's getting uh, getting immigrant women who are, you know, freshly arrived often find it hard to uh, start to think about getting that job and looking impressive in the way that they you know, and so to be able to donate great clothes and a nice handbag is just a beautiful thing to be able to set someone up with. Yes, mm. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we have uh, Dressed for Success here as well. Oh, great. I did send a few boxes up there yep. uh, at one stage when I was, because I'm basically at a point now, like I'm, you know, not buying anything more. Like I went through a period where uh, I was op shopping quite a lot at the start of of this particular journey and I realised, you know, I just have too much. So yeah, I had 
a friend who um, she um, curates natural fibres uh-huh. secondhand. So she's got a um, couple of stalls and, um, and, you know, a great design sense. So she took some of the things and the ones that she didn't need went to, some of them went to Dress for Success and some of them just went to, you know, like a, a local charity here. Mm. But I'm so um, glad you shared that because... I find it's often the journey when we start to want to restrict a behaviour of the past. Mm, mm. We often find the better way to do it and then we do it as much as the old way. (laughs) We do, but that's just because we haven't actually yet got the memo of of the less the less I actually part. don't need all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's kind of like um, it happens in diet land. So let's just say mm-hmm. I remember when uh, I had to go gluten-free. It was, gosh, it was 17 years ago now. It was way before it was cool um, for medical reasons. And then even though the first few years of being gluten-free, everything tasted like cardboard that was packaged gluten-free, but then there was this explosion of offerings. Mm-hmm. And I just went straight into being really excited about all these, you know, all these amazing packaged gluten-free things because I could. So I was, mm. I was buying them because I could eat them technically. Yes. I was yes. not thinking about whether that was still an ultra-processed food with very few nutrients Mm. Um, packaged in plastic with phthalates through it and, mm. Mm. Uh, you know, virgin petroleum and all those sorts of... And often products. a lot of sugar, often a lot of sugar too. Often a lot of mm. sugar. So mm. I always say in my talks, if I'm doing a food talk, just because it's a gluten-free cheesy puff does not mean it's yeah. not a cheesy puff. It's still, <laughs> it's still a really processed food, so don't eat it. Yes. Uh, and I think we, we need... It's just human nature to find the safe alternative and and sub it in before we actually then take the next step to learn about not needing it in the first place or at least not needing it to the magnitude we had it before. Yes, yeah. It, it is all uh, an, an evolution of learning and mm. change really. Um, sure is, mm. yeah. Mm. Okay, so I want to ask you about the stats on synthetic clothing because this is something that uh, is obviously really troubling in terms of its impact on the environment. And I would say, even though there's not a lot of data on this yet, our lungs because of the microplastic dust. Um, Talk us through what you know about how bad it is first Mm. before we start sharing the solutions. (laughs) Well, um, this, this was part of my reason for entering this space too because I love natural fibres and what I was seeing was a whole lot of non-natural fibres out there and I became curious about about the amounts and I at, at the time I started looking at that in 2013 there, there was nothing in the public domain about it that I could find so I cobbled together some data from um, the FAO and World Fibre Reports. And basically 20 years ago, about it was about half and half natural fibres and synthetic fibre clothes. And within 10 years, there, there's been an exponential growth of the synthetic fibres to the point now that uh, in 2016, which is the last year that I looked at, there was one-third natural fibres, two-thirds synthetic. So the big explosion has been in the synthetic fibre. You know, the big, the big explosion in fast fashion has actually been in the synthetic clothes because they're cheap. It's cheap 
And over that period of time, the last two decades, the amount of natural fibre production has not actually changed um, noticeably. Um, and, of course, it can't really because there's no more land to grow it. So certainly if we start um, being more circular in, you know, making sure that no cotton, you know, goes to landfill, that would be a great goal to have, you know, to be recycling all those things so that you could increase the amount of natural fibres uh, in the system without using more farmland to produce it. So the big explosion is in synthetic fibres and um, Dr Mark Brown was the ecologist who um, recognised that synthetic fibres are shedding microplastic particles every time they're washed. He did that research in 2011. It became, I found it in 2014, like, um, so it had been sort of around for a while. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, you know, because I knew how much of the clothing was synthetic, I thought this is a huge problem. And um, Mark Brown was studying plastic plastic pollution on shorelines and he found that there was a lot of smaller particles around capital cities. So he went looking for why and traced it back to our washing machines. And in a way that problem still exists. Every time you wash, uh, particularly a fleecy synthetic, um, up to 2,000 microplastic particles are shed per wash, you know. So the multiplier effect is really significant and it has been found everywhere in the oceans, in the water and, as you say, in the air. And there was one report I read where um, most of the microplastic particles are coming either from clothes or tyres, you know, the, the ones they're finding in the ocean. So definitely are breathing in. There, I think there is research underway about the health implications mm, of having micro, so much microplastic around, but it, it it hasn't come to light yet what the but it just sounds so bad doesn't it like we're actually eating where you know there's plastics everywhere so I think I mean my my basic approach to it is just minimizing as much as I can you know and I have almost no plastic things in the house like you can't you can't get rid of it completely but you know you know, no plastic rugs, no plastic furnishings and things like that. It's a good place to start. Absolutely. And, and of course, minimising it in your clothes. But it's quite astounding how much, you know, like all that active wear, it's all mm. Mm. Um, and I mean, there are some clothing brands who've managed to get it down to kind of underwear level where it's 5% elastane, which is at least, you know, it's yes. moving the needle, yes. making it a little bit better. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But it's a it's an it's an ongoing process, and I think the disastrous um, uh, uh, take on it is that we could never make a difference, and so we don't change anything. Much better uh, to move exactly, exactly. You know? And my favorite yeah. meme that I saw two years ago was. It's just one plastic straw, said 8 billion yeah. people. And I think yeah. we have to think about that every time mm. we're making Oh, we all can create. We all can do that. So yeah. I, I th and, and I think it's not feeling as if you've got to do it perfectly. You've just got to be trying, you know, just got to be working towards it and saying no wherever you can. And, and that does ultimately that's how change happens. Sure mm. is. Uh, mm. I've I've got one um, 
uh, one pair of activewear pants and the 5% elastane in my undies. And that, that's what I'm down to now. And uh, it, But it's taken a good decade of, of just whittling it down slowly, slowly, educating yourself. And, um, and unfortunately for me, I have, uh, I'm recovering from mold illness. So I've had a couple of really disastrous experiences with op shop clothes, um, which because if they've if they've been in a musty wardrobe somewhere in a water damaged building, so in you know, and this I, I share this because people might be listening and thinking, oh gosh, I, I always feel horror, you know, because twenty five percent of the population can't detox mold, and um, and it makes for some really severe health issues. So often we think, oh, well, I can't make a difference there at all. But we still can, you know. You can get a friend to buy them and wash them for you first. Or you could um, really just, your passion could be like mine is. Uh, I don't know if you saw my Instagram story this week, but I shared my speaker dress, which is now on 81 wares. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, fabulous. You know, like, so we can all still make a difference. Whatever excuse we yes. got, we've, we're, there's still something we can do, and I think we need to stop making the excuses, and we start. Yes. We need to start looking at what it looks like within the context of our constraints, whatever they might. What be. you can do, not yeah. what you can't do. Back mm. to Arthur Ashe. And, and look, um, um, but you know, like thrifting is not the only way to be conscious. It's actually even if you buy new, just buying less, really considered way. I mean, that's that's a great approach. That's a sustainable approach. Um, so yeah, there's there's no one way, and and I, I think it's it's it does start with it, like in my slow clothing manifesto. The number one is think. You know, we just need to be thinking more. Stop and think before you purchase, and that's where that critical thinking comes into it. Where you know, do a bit of analysis about why. Um, and do I do I need it? And how's it going to fit in? And how many times am I going to wear it? And will it last? Will it last the the journey? But it's really exciting having that you know having long time wears out of things. Isn't I it? love it like too. They, like the attachment then you're emotionally oh, invested in it. And, huge. You know, it's 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 wonderful. Whereas this whole idea of oh, I couldn't wear the same thing twice. Like it's kind of like. <laughs> You know? <laughs> oh, but again, that was what celebrity culture dictated to us, that Met Gala kind of hyper yes. um, end of the, the scale where yes. the celebrity Hello. was Who's never... making money out of that? Yeah. You know? They were never allowed to wear the same thing twice. And I love the green carpet hashtag and the work that many have done to change that stigma, many female politicians as well. Mm. Um, news Jane presenters Fonda. even, Jane Fonda, everyone's jumping on board. Uh, well, not everyone, but it, it's really positive. And, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited by it personally as well. So, so let's talk about um, sewing because uh, this, is, this is something I still need a lot of help in. My husband's the sewer in our family. Um, he's really good at it. He's got a, he makes beautiful leather goods, leather aprons and things like that as part of his business. And, um, and uh, whenever I need, you know, he's fixed my bras, he's done all sorts of darning. It's fabulous. It's great having a sewer in the house. If someone out there wants to be the sewer in the house, 
and they really want to start maximizing the textiles they have and turning old things into new things and all the beautiful stuff you do. I mean, number one, I would say, get your book and start to follow you on Instagram because you really do just learn so much. But if you could share just a few basics, like what do we really need to know how to do to get started on maximizing the textiles we have and giving them more life? Mm. Well, um, it starts with a needle and thread. That's what I say. You know, everybody thinks, oh, I've got to buy the sewing machine and I've got to get all the right equipment. You know, as we said, you go in. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Actually, just a few different size needles and a few different size threads. And it's amazing what you can do with a needle and thread. Um, I think I, yesterday I, I did a, a Zoom session with home economics teachers and it's not really called home economics in schools anymore. And I just realised how, how little teaching is going on in that space about about sewing um but you know it's a great thing to be able to sew on a button and and hats off to to you having a having a man who can do i know that. we're very progressive uh, family yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my eldest son is the the so i call him sewist mm-hmm. okay. because if you look at sewer and you in the written form it's mm. sewer so we're oh about yeah sewist. Sewist. You know, you're a yep. sewist, so you're an activist in that in that sewing space. And oh, I love that. That's a great I think, um, I, nuance. I think just being able to mend is a really important thing. You know, when when a a seam pops, you know, as they they often do, the garment's perfectly good, but you know, one part it just is a bit weaker. So being able to use a needle and thread to go back and reinforce that is a it's a really valuable thing. So. That's the place to start, just using a needle and thread just to catch things. The old saying, a stitch in time saves nine. So as soon as you see something happening before you wash it, mend it and then it it won't, you know, if you wash it, it'll, you know, take nine stitches instead of one or two. And um, so I, I just think it's consciously looking after what we do have is a really great place to start. And um, I, I realise now, you know, sometimes you under undervalue the skills that you've got and because I've been sewing um, for so long, um, you know, you don't realise how much you know. Like I'm not perfect. I would not want to be selling anything I make because I make it for myself and then I'm able just to, oh, if it didn't quite work there, I can just fix it and, you know, alter it as you go along. So I'm not that great at it and I don't particularly want to be because there's other things that I enjoy perfecting. But, um, yeah, I I think just learning to use a needle and thread is a great thing and realise that um, simple clothes are often the best. Um, One of the things that I've done recently is, you know, uh, I I have a lot of elastic, uh, which is synthetic, I know, um, but... um, you know, sometimes sleeves with elastic, you can take the elastic out and that changes the look and loosens things up if it's too tight. You know, just have a look at what's happening with the sleeve and you might be able to either let that go, um, take the elastic out if it has that or if it's if it's a formal cuff on it, you could actually cut it off and turn it up a couple, you know, turn it up twice, turn it once, turn it twice so there's no raw edge. And then just stitch that a couple of times with hand stitching 
it's a beautiful effect to change the look and the comfort of clothing. Because mm. I always seem to have a problem with them becoming too tight. <laughs> Occasionally, <laughs> uh, you know, like the, the reverse, but it's kind of too tight. Oh, I can't wear that anymore. So it's actually just about problem solving. And mm. again, that comes back to critical thinking, just problem solving. Well, what can I do here? Because there's no formula. Everything mm. is different. Um, and it, it's actually just looking at it and, you know, learning how to use a needle and thread and at least sew back on a button if it, if it starts getting a bit wobbly. And, you know, it is just start, mm. just do something. Just and, do something. I mean, there is just an infinite amount of YouTube resource these days with good good-willed people taking time out of their day to teach you how to do pretty much anything. I remember I had a printer that I couldn't figure out how to change the cartridge on a few years ago and I thought, I wonder if someone's done a video on this in, on YouTube. And sure enough, some lovely guy in Arkansas, USA, had taken the time to teach everybody how to change the, the cartridge on this particular printer. And the same goes for all of these home crafts. That, um, that have been much lost in the modern world but so easy to reconnect to thanks to people like yourself and so many um, teaching you all sorts of things, the basics. So you, you never have to feel publicly silly. You can just very privately go, how do I sew a button on <laughs> and, um, and learn from the privacy of your own home? Yeah, but even so, like why do we feel we have to know how to do everything? Like knowledge sharing is a great thing and being able to say, well, I can't do it. Either I can pay someone to do it for me or I can DIY. And that whole, that it's an, it's an exploration of empowerment to be able to do things for yourself. And just in preparation for our chat, I was having a look at my book and I found this little section. I was refreshing what I'd written, 10 ways that stitching enhances life. Oh, do you want me to read that for yes, you? please. That'd be great. So, Number one is it expands choice. You're not restricted by what you can find ready-made. Number two, it provides agency. Everybody's body is different. It's great to be able to suit yourself. It offers challenge uh, in that thinking about how can I make this work. It enables repair to extend the life of favourite garments. It gives a sense of accomplishment. You know, we gain real achievement from completing tasks and details. It encourages creativity and that's grown-up play. That's the part that I really love. I'm just playing here. Like I just do something, what happens? Oh, that didn't quite work. Oh, I have to keep going and problem-solving. So you do need to allow yourself time to do that. Um, number seven is it connects us to our clothing. We put energy and care into a garment we make or repair for ourselves, you know, and it's that sense of ownership then and honouring um, the fabric and, and the work that's gone before. It creates mindful immersion through soothing repetitive actions, you know, stitching. And when you're mending a garment, you know, like a jumper that's got holes in it or something, the irony is that by the time you get to the last few holes, it's kind of like, oh, the job's done. You know, there's a certain sadness to that because you know you've enjoyed that that therapy of, of going back and um, number nine is it saves unnecessary expenditure being able to stitch and repair and number 10 is it reduces waste so you know 
there's lots of reasons to be, you know, applying needle and thread where you can. Mm. And something that um, that I was thinking of as you were going through those was so many people, women in particular, struggle to find the mindfulness time, to find that real sense of calm and bringing something like stitching a hem into your week's to-do list actually kills two birds with one stone. You have the benefit of a mindfulness experience without having to, you know, meditate if you're not a good meditator because it is a meditative act mm. in itself. Mm. And then you, yes, fix often, your, you fix yeah. your trousers at the same yeah. time. Yeah. So often we think the solutions are outside, aren't they? They're away. Mm. And we might see mending as a burden and a chore, whereas I, I think it's all about mindset and embracing it. And it's the same with gardening and growing your own food. It's actually fabulous exercise and, and is also very mind, mindful and very um, healthful. Um, and, and I think stitching is as well. And I love that tactile feel of the fibres and, you know, you have a close inspection and, you know, you think about it more about what it's made from and where that came from. And, you know, there's a lot of negativity about, um, you know, the water that's used in cotton, but the main thing is to wear the cotton until it wears out. And then each time you wear it, you reduce the initial impact of the resources that went into grow it. So anything that we can do to increase longevity is a great thing, but of course, that consumption society has been encouraging us to throw things out and use them less. So yeah, it's it's it, you know it's nature. Mm. Well, it's Everything just balance. You know, absolutely. We, and it's time for us to get the memo uh, that um, that it's not beneath us. Like cooking from scratch is not beneath, yes. beneath us. It's oh, it's been yeah, sold so to us. Yeah. yeah, it's been mm. sold to us as something inferior for the modern human, and and yet. We're sicker than ever. We're less mindful. We're uh, more stressed, and uh, it's clearly not working. What we've been doing, so really starting to bring back some of that mindfulness, stirring the pot, mending the hem. It doesn't mean we can't do all our wonderful modern things. It just it really brings us back into balance. I think to start reincorporating these these things. Mm. And every now and then, you know, I, I sort of feel motivated to say it's not because I can't afford to buy another one or buy new, you know, like people think you're poor, but actually I'm not at all, you know, like I could buy anything I wanted. Um, but, you know, I do it for different reasons and it is often that that mindfulness reason and changing the program. I love that getting the memo. I'm going to use that. <laughs> you're welcome. Right. You're welcome. Well, I mean, it really ties in with um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. So I think as we wrap up, Jane, I would like you to issue us a bit of a challenge, an, mm. an introspective look at our wardrobes, uh, something we perhaps haven't worn for a while because we've been thinking, oh, it's got that hole in the elbow or something's up, doesn't fit properly anymore and there's an elastic in the waist maybe, uh, as you were talking about. What could be a project we could all undertake? to make something last a bit longer or turn something old new? Yeah. Well, I, I think it is about getting one piece, like get one piece out of your wardrobe that you, you want to uh, rejuvenate. And 
often it's about restyling it, you know, styling it in a different way. It's amazing. Um, I often find if you've got separates that it's it's you need another piece to go with it. So maybe having a look at, at um, wearing it in a different way to how you have. And now almost anything goes, you know, you can wear a formal jacket with something more casual underneath. And so, yeah, it's just, I guess it's just um, looking in the mirror is actually really kind of a useful thing to do with, it, I mean, it's, it's sort of playing dress-ups, you know, play dress-ups with it and see what you can do. Um, and additionally, what I suggested before, like if you have a hole in the elbow, well, think about cutting, cutting that part off and just, you know, shortening the arm and, and giving it a new life in that way. Um, so it's, it's really probably just I want to make one thing work better and it's really quite exciting once you do that, you sort of think, well, what else have I got that I could make work better? So it is starting with the one and, um, and uh, you know, hopefully not having to go and buy anything else to go with it, but it's just making it work because there's a reason why it's parked. And sometimes our style and our tastes do change and I guess that's why you'd go through it and do I even like this? Why did I buy that? Maybe you bought it to impress someone and sometimes some things have to get moved along. Um, but one thing that you do love, just look at how, how you can use it in a different way. Sometimes like I always turn things upside down and on the side and think about what I could do. But it's probably important not to use the scissors too willfully until <laughs> skills to kind of good tip yep. it, you know, um, <laughs> because once you cut into something it's actually not useful for anybody else you know you can't really donate things that you've you know had a had a crack at but when um you know things are nearly at the, at the end of their life it's, it's certainly a great place to experiment mm. um but I think it's just having confidence to develop our own authentic way of dressing rather than feeling that we have to be looking like everybody else. Mm, I love that. That's so, so true. Uh, and you see it in, in some of the cities, like London is fabulously authentic. I mean, there's so many people just completely couldn't give a toss about what anyone thought about their fashion sense. New York too. New yeah. York as well. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like in Sydney we sometimes can be a bit generic. Everyone looks a bit the same. Yes. Um, yes. In, but in some areas there's huge amounts of individuality. So I think I'm going to take from your answer there that we um, can use this coming week to, to spend a bit of time on thinking about what our style is, what it means to us right now um and uh and and what piece of clothing we've loved that's on its last legs that might not be on its last legs I actually because I'm I'm not yet a great sewer I'm going to just put the word yet in there um you've got a teacher that's good (laughs) I've got a teacher yes so I I had a knit top like this and I often just buy one or two of these a year and I just wear them to absolute um, uh, to the end of their life, and they're pure cotton or wool. Um, but I took it to the local um, train station where there's a little hole in the wall um, alterations guy, and, mm-hmm. uh, and he just made it into a short sleeve for me because it was at the elbow that it had worn, um, and uh, and I got the summer out of it too. So you yeah. know, there's great. There's- 
But, you know, I mean, it's great to employ, um, employ him, engage him, you know, to do that job for you, but you can actually just... I know. I'm going to try and brave it. Yeah. (laughs) So anyone who feels like me out there, let's do this together. We've got this. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Jane. This is absolutely lovely to chat to you. I feel really inspired and I know our listeners will as well. Um, Tell us us where we can find you. Um, Well, I'm on... um, Instagram at Textile Beat. That's sort of my main social media activity, but also on Facebook at that same thing. And my book is Slow Clothing, Finding Meaning in What We Wear. And it's available in a lot of libraries, you know, or, you know, you can buy it online, but I prefer to see it as a shared resource in libraries. So that's the first place to go, really. Brilliant. Thanks so much. And I look forward to continuing our chats online. Bye, Jane. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Lotox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.